You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I have got uh, a couple days worth of content I would like to get through, but uh, I want to be patient and not jump into what's burning in my belly, because we got to get through... The rest of these uh, interviews, I want to go over the Joe Barry thing, which was uh, somewhat cringeworthy. Also, the Adam Stenovich uh, presser kind of raised some questions, so I want to be able to go through that. A couple things before we dive into that. Um, I would encourage you to head over to the Packers YouTube channel and check out the video that they did, uh, if I could find it here. It's um, total Packers Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft trying to compete with each other. It's not really podcast-worthy. But it, it's fun just kind of getting to see these guys and uh, the relationship they've obviously already um, begun to grow. And I'm just super excited to to continue to see that. And, and not just between those two, um, which I hope becomes a special one, but the bond that they create with the other tight ends, as well as the quarterback, as well as the wide receivers, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just excited for this to become um, a thing. Other thing I wanted to bring up, we are coming up very, very quickly on the OTAs, the voluntary OTAs. Make sure we mention that because obviously that uh, it's very important to mention. If you just don't feel like it, you know, trying, caring, participating, whatever, you don't have to go. It's not against the law. You will not be arrested. You will not be shot. And you should not be chastised because not feeling like showing up to work and trying, not a big deal. Nobody cares. I can't help it. It just drives me nuts. I understand if you got some kind of contract dispute or something, but uh, otherwise, freaking show up and do your job, all right? It's the least you can ask for a team trying to be the best in the entire world at something, would be my thought on that. But obviously, the uh, off-season program has officially begun, but nothing super exciting for us. Phase one, meeting, strength, and conditioning. Phase two of the program, you've got uh, on-field group workouts, and then phase three, you've got the organized team activity practices, or OTAs. The first week of OTAs are scheduled for May 22nd, 23rd, and 25th. That is right around the corner. In fact, uh, from the time of this podcast release, we got two days, man. I can't believe we got two days, (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm excited. Um, and continues May 30th, 31st, and June 2nd, and then June 5th and 5th, why does it say 5th through 6th? 5th and 6th and 8th. Packers are slated to wrap up this year's offseason program with mandatory minicamp. It's when it gets even more fun. June 13th through 15th. It says the team will announce at a later date. I don't think it's come out yet. I don't know. I have not seen it. But um, when the actual OTAs and minicamp practices will be and how many, if any, will be open to the public. They better be, man. 
That is such a fun time. You know, it's funny too because I I, I kind of noticed this last year. There was this feeling of, you know, once the season ends, we've got man, what? Let's let's just say January still football time because it generally is. You got February, March, April, May, June, July, most of August. This is nothing. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's about a half a year, half a year of football, half a year of no football. Sucks, but at the same time, it's not. Right, I mean, there there are periods of time that are brutal, but um, you get the combine. I think is a lot of fun. You got the NFL draft stuff and all the ramped up ramp up to that. You got the the draft itself. Then you got sort of the post draft analysis and kind of looking at the schedule release when that comes out and kind of looking at all that. And then it's not too long before we got people in the building. Right, they're already in the building. Not that we get too many insights, but not too long after that, we start getting those tweets on the twitters. Which, if you're not on Twitter, that alone is reason enough to make an account because you've got people on there that are live tweeting things that are happening. I always have a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot of work. I mean, it is one of the most labor-intensive periods of time between that and the 53-man roster and everything else. Uh, it is an absolute grind from a um, creator standpoint or just anybody that wants to stay on top of it. But um, I know last year with the Substack, for example, I had taken every single note from every single person that left a note about every single play, and then ended up breaking all that down in terms of how many positive plays each player had on which days and whatever else. But it's it's a lot of fun, man. It's it's great to get these guys out there and you start to get some of the hype going. And sometimes it means nothing. People always say, well, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. It's kind of like the uh, 30-man visits or whatever. You, know, you get the 30 in-person visits. It doesn't really mean anything, but it might, right? Depends how the meeting goes. And so it, it, in a sense, it's useless because it only works in reverse. You can only tell after the fact which of those things were relevant. For example, I remember um, when we got Zedarius Smith in the building and, and he was just unblockable. Absolutely unblockable. Now, at the time, you look at it and say, well, that doesn't really mean anything. And then you move forward and find out Zedarius Smith was an absolute freak. And it's like, oh, I guess that did mean something. The fact that Bakhtiari literally could not block him like once <laughs> I think Rashawn was the same too, by the way. But it's all fun stuff, and I am uh, super excited. I, again, I don't know how much access we're going to get and when we're going to start getting that and how much the Packers are going to let us peek behind the curtain, but um, I'm definitely excited to start getting into some actual football stuff. But all right, let's, uh, let's get this started. We'll uh, start off with the Joe Barry Presser. Obviously not the most popular guy in uh, Green Bay. I tend to have a much more neutral feel for the the Joe Barry thing obviously it hasn't been what we had hoped up to this point especially considering the people that he's been given to work with the expectation certainly should have been higher um especially when you start to see guys like Adrian Amos and Kenny Clark and um Savage take steps backward when he showed up you know as compared to Petten who got fired and rightly so you know and the only thing that seems to have improved is linebackers that sucks so I understand the frustration, but but again, I, I tend to come into this with a pretty neutral um, feeling on things. We'll see how it goes. I understand the pessimism, but I, I also don't come into this with a foregone conclusion that it's automatically going to suck because we just assume so. Now, there's not a great track record. He's never had a good year as a defensive coordinator ever. So again, I get it, but I'm just saying we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'll, I will give it some time and not much because I mean it's you know it's football it's a short season you don't get you don't get five six seven weeks to figure it out or fourteen in the case of last year so we'll just start off and again I apologize for these loud 
stupid noises that come in the middle of this, but it is what it is. Uh, first question is about Devontae Wyatt, which um, is, is always fun because there are certain guys that we forget about. You know, while we're pissing and moaning about how everything's worse and everything's horrible, um, we're not even acknowledging the potential of guys like Wyatt. Um, First-round pick with absolute, uh, uh, just disgusting ceiling that that guy has, who really contributed almost nothing last year. Um, not to say we should expect him to be great, but the, the fact that we just write off any sort of positive growth is just kind of crazy to me. But here's what Joe Barry had to say about him. What do you want out of Devontae Wyatt this year? Well, I, Did I, I say Wyatt? I don't know. Thanks. With, with anybody up front, um, you want playmakers, obviously. Um, you know, but specifically when you talk about a defense alignment, a three technique, um, you know, disruption, you know, because I, I think you can, uh, obviously the, the, the sacks are the things that get talked about all the time, but um, just to be dis- an, an all-around disruptive player, um, he has that ability, he has that quickness, he has that athleticism. Um, so, yeah, just to be a disruptive force in the in the obviously the passing game but the, the run game as well and you know it's it's every single rookie is different and um, some guys come in and have a easy transition some guys you know have a little bit of a diff, more difficult one um, but I always like to see what those guys do you know in that in that time frame from you know year one to year two so he's been here every day which I think uh First way to get better is just to, to show up and be in the building, and he's been here every single day, phase one and phase two. So he looks great. He's in great shape. So um, excited to get out on the grass and go through OTAs with him next year or next week. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, the uh, most of that is, is filler, but it is good to hear what, what, from a coaching standpoint, what they're trying to get out of him, and that is disruption. Because, look, if, if – and I don't want to say that they're not looking for a technician – Right, because of course everybody, every coach wants you to be perfect on every rep, every every you know hand placement, every single thing. Oh, there's a video of uh, Aaron Rodgers' first day as a Jet. That's kind of cool. Sorry, stupid YouTube doing a good job of distracting me here. How about this video? I didn't finish this one, dude. Chill. But the the point is, I genuinely have faith in Wyatt's ability to be disruptive, above and and beyond my my optimism that he's going to become. Um, or at least this year will become a, a uh, prolific technician as a defensive tackle. I'd love to say Kenny Clark, but obviously that's going in a pretty negative direction for him. So, you know, we know why it can be an absolute wrecking ball. The, just the, the size-speed combo in and of itself, you teach him a couple pass rush moves and you, you let him run wild. The, the question is going to be, of course, consistency. You know, if, if we look at it, he, he had a pass rush grade of 84 in week three. Right, that's awesome. The problem is he didn't have a pass rush grade like that again until week 18. So it was two weeks. Not saying the grade is everything. He had very little reps or whatever. Um, but I'm just I'm just making a point. It's great to have like a 92.2 pass rush grade like he did against Detroit. The issue is when you've only got two of those games and really only three that are 70 and above. It's it's I'm glad but we need to see more of it. You know, and in reality, he only had eight pressures on 111 attempts. That's really bad. Now, I know there's a whole lot of thinking going on, and there's, there's just a whole lot 
that I think has very little to do with his abilities. In other words, if you just said beat the guy in front of you, I think you could whoop him a lot more than what you're seeing. But there's more to his position, right? If, if you're just going to be reckless and not pay attention to the play, you're just going to get eaten up. And you might up your, your pressure percentage, but you're a freaking absolute liability as a run defender and, and everything else. And, and the way the NFL is today with so much misdirection and everything, it's just... And these plays happen so fast. You, you'll watch a guy like Devontae Wyatt and it's like he, he sees the line move one way, so he tries to kind of get out in front of it, and you can already see that he's thinking. He's, he's not looking at the quarterback. He's like, all right, I got to step this way. And then somebody comes and clips him from the other side, and he goes down, and the pass goes out the other direction. It's like, holy cow, man. It's like it is not just line up, bulldoze the guy in front of you, which he has done, and get to the quarterback. I mean, that'll work if that's, if that's what you got, but there's, there's just such, it's such a high level at the NFL. But... Um, Certainly, you started to see some improvement if you look at like week 13, uh, which is technically before the bye week. Um, but 87, this is overall great, 87, 77, 50, 58, 90.6, right? A couple lower grades in there, but you've got three out, of four, uh, three out of five that are not only high, but extremely high. And again, small sample size, but these are the, the small steps. And, and for him to have a 70 overall grade and a 71 pass rush grade as a rookie, Rookie defensive tackle, and I'm not going to go through all the grades again, but we've already been through it a thousand times. He's got to be in the top 5%. As bad as it sounds, top 5% of defensive tackles coming out the last, I don't know, five years or so as rookies. A 70 overall grade and a 71 pass rush grade. Because the standard is probably about a 50. So yeah, Joe Barry, he's got a lot of filler in there in terms of trying to answer the question while at the same time saying, you know, we really didn't play him last year, so I don't know much about him. We were still going with that quote-unquote all-in mentality, so we needed veterans out there, and so we kind of cast him to the side. And, you know, and, and again, I've mentioned this with other players, when you're the number four or five guy at defensive tackle or any other position, it's not just that your playing time is limited. It's also that practice time is limited. They're not dedicating their coach's time and the, the time on the practice field to you to the same degree that they are Kenny and uh, Jaron Reed and... and, and uh, Whoever else was up front, I don't remember. Oh, Dean Lowry. Right, these are the guys where we're putting our main focus. Now, you're getting some attention, but it's not as much. Same with Jordan Love. Same with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs and, and you know, whatever. Right, when you go from being the number three or four to the number one, there's a heck of a lot more attention being paid to you. And also, the, the way that the offense is being played, or defense in this case with Devontae Wyatt, might change. Where you line up, how you line up, what we run because of your abilities or inabilities. But it's going to be catered to your skill set as opposed to you filling in for somebody else and you trying to fill their skill set, right? This defense is built on Lowry and Kenny and Jaron Reed. And you got to come in and be Jaron Reed. Well, I'm not Jaron Reed. I'm Devontae Wyatt. So yeah, he, he, he's saying, I really don't know. I haven't seen the guy. We'll see what happens when we get out there. Even then, it's going to be a lot of shorts and stuff, but we'll see what kind of physical condition he's in and how much he's learned of the playbook and whatnot, and we'll kind of go from there. But um, I am excited because, obviously, this is one of the, on a team that only seems to want to draft freaks, he is one of the freakiest freaks on this entire team. Next question is, we assume Darnell is going to be playing safety. Do you know who the number two guy is? No, um, but you know what? That, that's, that's the great thing about the offseason. You know, it, it's, it's May. Um, that's the, the selfishly for us, for coaches, you know, we get that nine week period where we get to get our hands on the guys and uh, we're in the fifth week right now and uh, we've got some new faces in that room. So, uh, but that's, that's what OTAs are for. That's what obviously training camps for. So we're in the beginning 
stages of the process of finding that out. You know, and and the the only reason I really played that, and I could have just saved it because it's a big talking point I had for the um, Adam Stenovich presser, but to to keep it kind of short, people are overplaying the talk from the coaches about competition as though it means that there is a lack of confidence, right? If there's competition, then there isn't confidence. That's nonsense. That's the entire point. They want to cross-train everybody just to make sure, you know, some things are set in stone, but I think you're hurting yourself by doing too much that is set in stone. We don't really need to cross or to find out if there's a better left tackle. Now, we're going to play some other guys at second string, third string in case of injury, but we don't need to honestly explore what if David Bakhtiari plays left guard. No, he's a le- as long as he's healthy, he's left tackle, and we don't need him doing anything else. right? But there, there, I, I think we, we look too much at that. We should just lock down everything we know, and anything that's kind of left open, it means that there isn't confidence. Now, safety, that may be the case in terms of you know, genuinely wanting to give everybody a shot because we don't have a ton of confidence in really anybody there. But I think that's true across a lot of different positions. We want to nail down, even wide receiver or something. Well, we know it's going to be Watson and Dot. They may know in the back of their mind how this is probably going to shake out. That doesn't mean that they're genuine in the fact that they're actually going to give... If, if, uh, if DeBose is the best wide receiver on this team, then he's playing. Just because you're a rookie seventh-round pick. Now, that's probably not going to happen. We understand that. But you're not going to lock it in now. That's the, As he said, that's the entire point of all this OTA stuff is to not just try to get guys up to speed, but, but to get our hands on these guys and, and kind of fine-tune what we have written down in pencil about the team, whether that's offensive line, wide receiver, tight end, right? We look at it and go, well, it's probably going to be the rookies are number one and two, and then, you know, Deguara is sort of a three, even though that doesn't make sense. They're all just kind of in their own positions, but still, like, that's the thing. We don't know. We'll see. Maybe some of these, maybe one of these guys really isn't very good, and you're just not going to see much of them. You know, maybe Tucker just ain't the, he's got that third round curse thing going on. He ends up like a Sean Ryan, and we end up with, you know, somebody else filling that role. Not to say he doesn't make the team, but he just isn't on the field very much. So we, the point is, we shouldn't overplay our hand with, oh, there's a competition, that means there's not a lot of confidence. Or there's a lot of confidence in this guy because he's actually pushing for that job. They're just trying stuff, dude. We don't need to come up with anything overly definitive based on a pretty straightforward answer that should be expected to begin with. We should expect lots of competition and cross-training and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Next question, and this is important when you're, this is when we, we absolutely have to stash away, myself included, because I always forget stuff, but... When we're doing like 53s and trying to figure out who's going to make the team, who's going to win the starting job, these are the kinds of answers that we need to keep in the back of our mind. And the question was, so who's going to win that job? Not just in terms of the person, but what type of a person are you looking for? You know, I, I think you've, you've heard me talk about, I'm, I'm big on, you know, consistency. I think that's, um, I've bragged over the years, a guy like Kenny Clark, um, not only is he consistent with his play, he's consistent with everything he does every single day when he's in this building. I think. By the way, that's exactly why guys like it. This is why, and I'm not going to say this is just a Packers thing. I don't really know, but this is why you consistently see guys like Lowry and Kenny and, and those types of guys taking snaps away from players that might actually be better, and it's because the coaches trust them. They know. I know that you know what to do. You know exactly what you need to do. You know where to line up, and all that. I don't need to tell you anything. That do- that doesn't necessarily mean you're good at your job. It just means I know what to expect from you, and I I, I don't want to rag on that too hard because I understand if we change that and kind of 
switch things up and be like, dude, just put Wyatt out there. You're going to end up with a guy that maybe has some higher upside, but you got a lot more just what the heck was that? 40 yard run up the middle or something, you know, just disasters. Um, but I, but I do think that is, um, clearly what coaches in particular Green Bay Packers coaches are constantly looking for is, you know, learn the playbook, know exactly what you're supposed to do and consistently do that thing. And you're going to have a better shot at winning the job than, for example, some young guy who's extremely talented, but really hasn't figured out what to do. And you can't really trust him yet. Like Devonte Wyatt. When you're, when you have a vacancy, especially with the starting spot, and you have a number of guys that are in competition for that, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that I look for as a coach when you're when you're deciding that is just the overall consistency every single day. And obviously, then you got to get into you know doing your job and making plays and being productive. Secondarily, again, that's from a fan standpoint, that's annoying. And I, I think we should understand that it's going to be. It's not all sunshine and rainbows if we get our way. There's going to be a lot of liabilities, a lot of just blown assignments and everything that's going to drive us nuts. But from a fan standpoint, we want the plays, right? We want the high-flying, crazy picks and sacks and just wild running. And and what coaches are looking for tends to be more of the boring, just, you know, giving them four yards here, you know, just the slow bleed down there. And um, two completely different approaches, but... That is what the Packers are looking for, whether we like it or not. And so that's what we should expect moving forward. Maybe a little less so because we're not quote-unquote all-in necessarily. But um, I still think that is going to be the priority. Um, We're going to look for consistency over inconsistent playmakers. Um, But it starts with, you know, just being a consistent guy every single day to be one of those starting 11. And as far as what that means from the safety standpoint, I mean, it, it seems fairly straightforward to me. That would mean Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford. Um, you know, there, there are guys that can maybe get it done, but these are two guys that whether or not you like their level of play, they know the defense and um, they're going to do what Joe Barry asks. And I, I can understand from a coaching standpoint how frustrating it must be to call something because you think it's the, the perfect play call. And then you got a safety that's not in the right spot, not doing the right thing, and the, the play gets blown, and then you, you're the one that's going to get blamed, and everything about your defense now sucks because that guy wasn't in the right spot, wasn't sniffing out the right things, wasn't doing what you had coached him to do. And so I'd rather take a guy that's a half a tick too slow, maybe not the greatest tackler, maybe not the greatest hands as far as getting picks or whatever, but I know he's going to stand in the right spot and, and look, keep his eyes in the right areas and do the right things that I tell him to do. And again, I have to assume that's Savage and Ford. That isn't to say it, it 100% is going to be that. You know, if, if somebody like Anthony Johnson or Tavarius Moore or whatever really breaks out, maybe they'll be able to overcome that. It's kind of like in the draft where it's like, well, they don't like five foot ten wide receivers. That's true. That doesn't mean they won't draft them, though. It just means that the play has to be so great that it overcomes their distaste for those types of things. But that's also why we always see the OTAs in, in the preseason and, and these guys just completely tearing it up and then they don't get a job and we're like, what the heck is that all about? Sometimes they don't even make the 53. It's like, are you serious? I thought they were tearing it up. What happened? It's because they're making plays, but they're maybe not necessarily... I mean, if you make a good play doing the wrong thing, I think that's a negative coaching point. The coaches are going to look at that as a negative. You know, as a safety, you're in the complete wrong spot and then you sprint across the field and you're able to get down there and you, you happen to punch the ball out and fumble and recover and all that. 
congratulations, but you just saved yourself because you completely botched that. And in a, in a, in a game, not a preseason game, you're giving up touchdowns because you don't know where to stand. Even though I've told you a thousand times, you don't know what to do. You're off the team. I can't do this anymore. But that's what that's the piece that I think we're missing. Sticking with the safeties, I was going to skip it, but there's a couple decent little notes. Just again, it's always good to hear like their tone and and how they feel about guys. Um, you, you can kind of sometimes you get a little excited about someone, then you listen to the defensive coordinator and they don't sound very excited. But the 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 next so now that we're going through the the safety group very thoroughly, um, what are you looking for? And then specifically, uh, you know, what do you think about the next two guys, Tavares Moore and Jonathan Owens? Here's what Joe Barry had to say about them. Yeah, just that, just that. You know, they've been uh, they've been veteran guys that uh, you know they they've been in the league four or five years. They've been predominantly special teams players. Um, you know, Jonathan played his best football a year ago. You know, he started 17 games, um, had his most production um, on defense. Um, and then T. Moore's been a guy that's you know coming from a good program in San Francisco, um, and they're they're from everything that we you know we vet those players obviously when when they get here and uh, they're great guys they're great teammates um, you know they've been they've been pros they've been in this league a long time so um, they all have you know different stories on how they've gotten to you know being here in Green Bay but um, excited they're here. It, it, Excited to get out and actually play some football next week uh, in the OTAs and truly see what they got. So the the at first when I was listening to that, it sounded I don't want to say negative, but you can tell how they're kind of he has this sort of like yeah I don't know I mean mostly special teamers and they've been in the league a while I don't really know. Um, but but I think the the general tone of Joe Barry throughout this whole thing is although I understand we have to do this, this is a waste of everybody's time because I don't have any answers for you. You know, you're asking me about guys I've never even got to, to practice with. I don't know what I have in Devontae Wyatt. I don't know what I have in T. Moore. I don't know what I have in Jonathan Owens or Anthony Johnson or or even Dallin Levitt because I haven't seen him yet. I don't, you know, we, we, we got to get him on special teams and get him back on defense, see if he's made some, you know, I don't know anything. You're asking me questions prior to me getting any answers. So although he seemed kind of ho-hum on Jonathan Owens and Tavarius Moore, I think the uh, tone of his answer has more to do with, dude, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Haven't, haven't worked with him yet. But speaking about like, you know, posture and tone and all that, uh, the next question was getting to Lucas Van Ness. What do you think you have in him and what do you think he can do for you? Now, I, again, this is all reading between the tea leaf stuff. This is off season analysis 101, but the way that his shoulders went back and he got a smile on his face and, and took a big old deep breath because his heart's pumping blood f- fast through his body and he can't catch his breath, getting all flustered and lightheaded. <laughs> you can tell it's a different kind of, uh, although it's the same, I don't know because I haven't you know done anything with him yet. There's still a, a an excitement level that comes along with having a guy like that. But Wes Hodkowitz asked the question, you know, what, what do you think a guy like that can do for your team? Well, if, if if have you seen him in person? I mean, when, when he walks in the room, I mean he's a he's a big big man, um, and he and he's young. You know, it's it's I know from a just from a evaluation part, put my evaluator hat on. Um, you know, when you see a, a guy that walks in the room and he's you know six four whatever, you know two hundred and seventy whatever, he's got length, he's got explosion. Um, and then you look at the fact that he's, you know, he's 21 years old, you know, so 
I think he is a uh, – it's scary when you get a, a young player like that, um, you know, to kind of close your eyes and think about what those guys will be, you know, three, four, five years down the road when they are, you know, 25, 26 years old. But um, great kid. Um, the rookies literally got here today. Uh, we had our rookie minicamp the, the weekend after the draft, so they were they were here for a weekend and then by rule had to leave. So um, really liked what we saw in the in the two days of practice that we had on that Friday and Saturday during the rookie minicamp with all the rookies, but with uh, Lucas especially. You know, he's he's a big explosive guy, guy that you know I think will be able to have some versatility, um, athletic enough that we're going to be able to stand him up and play on the edge, but then also. Um, big and physical enough that we'll be able to kind of move them up and down uh, all over the line. So, um, but very excited. Um, like I said, we got we just got done with a with a workout with them today uh, with all the rookies. But Lucas is uh, he's an exciting guy, and I can't wait to work with him. So again, it's funny because the answer to that question is technically the exact same as everybody else, but how you answer that tells you a lot, right? What does he know about? Tavarius Moore as opposed to Lucas Van Ness? Nothing, right? Well, you know, he watched what Lucas Van Ness did in college, but he also was able to see what Moore did in the pros because he's not a rookie. The answer is, I don't know. But the difference between a uh, likely special teamer, possibly worst-case scenario starting safety, no offense to him, but let's be honest, that's what's going on in Joe Barry's mind, compared to what he sees and envisions in Lucas Van Ness and, and just the level of it, you know, because again, his goal is to give you these, these sort of blanket boring answers. His goal is to go up there and answer that question as, you know, I don't really know yet what we, we like, what we've seen so far, but we haven't really had a chance, but he can't even get there because he's gushing over the guy. Have you seen him? Did you, did you, why have you seen him walk into a room? He's so tall and he's just ripped and he's so fast and it's crazy. But it's also good to listen to him talk about, like, what will he be when he's 25? Because no fan wants to think about that. That's four years from now. Four years. Nobody wants to think that it could take four years for him to hit his peak. But in reality, that is kind of when a lot of guys peak, 24, 5, 6. That's why drafting 25-year-olds, not generally the best, because they're at their peak in college. And then they go to the pros, and it's like, well, there's no more up more upward mobility, really. Physically, I mean, they can learn stuff. But 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 that is the the point that I think we've got to wrap our head around. Joe Barry is not looking at this guy and saying, dude, he is going to kill some people this year. He's looking at it saying, this guy is a freak and I can't wait to see what we can do with him over the next couple years, what he can become. And fans get it all wrong. And again, it's not to say he can't contribute. I'm not saying that. But the goal is not what can we get from him this year. The goal is, man, what can he be at his peak, which is going to be in a couple years. You know, at best, maybe next year. You know, you see guys like Bosa or whatever. Uh, the, both Bosa's, Miles Garrett, right? It was it was year two with a lot of these guys. So at best, maybe year two is when things really start to take off. But yeah, the, the level of excitement that he has, um, you can hear it in his voice, you can see it in his face. He just, he is over the moon that he has a guy like Lucas Van Ness on his team. Uh, next question I'm not going to play, but it, it follows in that line that the question essentially was, um, how do you accelerate that growth? And um, he didn't really answer it all that well, but kind of acknowledged, you know, there, there is an expectation, obviously, to, for, for them to go out and play just like everybody else. Nobody gets to sit in the back seat and just ride it out. You know, you need to go out and play. Um, but, you know, he complimented Gutekunst in their process in terms of getting these guys and um, did acknowledge that he should be able to contribute on some level. But clearly, you can tell 
there is no expectation that year one will be his peak, right? Nor should there be. As much as we may want that year one, in year two we're not going to want that. In year three and year four we're not going to want that. It's just because we're, we're short-sighted right now that we want them to peak now at 21 years old. Anyways, I want to get to the most cringeworthy part of this uh, interview process. I don't know who it was. I forgot who it was that asked this question. Somebody I don't think I've even heard of. But just, I don't understand why people do this stuff. I, I didn't like the question or the answer, but I'm going to play it just for the sake of cringiness. And uh, we'll discuss it, and we'll take a break after that. Um, I want to play a little word association, or in this case, words association. If I would say eight number one draft choices out of your first 11, you would say... What, what do you, what, what do you no, it's just what you, you've got eight first round picks now, I think, on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, just talk about trying to maximize that investment. Sure. Um, well, let me let me flip your your uh, little game here. Um, what if, what if what if what if we just had a, a roster full of seventh round draft picks? Would expectations not be high? So I'm going to stop it there. First of all. Um, no, the expectations would not be high. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. I, I understand that. Um, for, well, let, let, let's let's go back even further. This question is garbage, and I'm glad that Joe made this extremely uncomfortable for him because that was stupid. Why do you have to do it? Just ask a freaking question. I want to play a word association. No, we're not playing games. What is your question? If I were to say seven or eight or whatever the number is, first round picks, you would say, "No, stupid. What's your question?" God. But, but no, I mean, uh, Joe, I'm sorry. I, I get what you're saying, right? There's always an expectation. And, 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 and from your perspective, if you didn't have all these first-round picks, you know that your job would still be dependent on, on making it work. And you understand that there would still be that obligation, right? Very similar to what, what we said about everybody else, right? There's still an expectation, but at the same time, we know there isn't just that expectation, right? Does Lucas Van Ness need to go out? Do we expect him to go out and produce at a high level? Yes. But do we really expect him to go out and play at high? Nah, not really. If this was a defense filled with seventh round picks only or undrafted free agents and nothing higher than that, would there not be high expectations? No, there would not be. There wouldn't be. And if this was a terrible defense, nobody could even, even if people didn't like Joe Barry or didn't like the hiring, nobody's going to say, well, we need a new defensive coordinator because that'll fix it. Nobody. Not a single media member, not a single Packer fan, whether you like Joe Barry or not, would look at it and say, what we need to fix this is a new defensive coordinator. Everybody would be looking at the GM and saying, you're a piece of garbage because you have failed. Now, how does that apply to this situation? It's the exact opposite. The GM, I mean, depending on the quality of the players, but f from a very basic standpoint, has not failed to go out and aid the defense time after time after time after time. Now, it's not as simplistic as, as just because they're a first-round pick, they're going to be good. Maybe they're not good. I don't know. I tend to think they are, but, but let's just leave it at that. There isn't enough information just based on first-round draft pick. I think we put too much. Same, for the same reason why it's so stupid to talk about how the Packers have not invested first-round uh, picks in wide receivers. Okay, but a lot of second-round picks, right? And also just a lot of talent in general, right? Isn't that the point? So I do think the, the first-round pick thing is, is overplayed from, from the basic and incorrect standpoint that just because it's a first-round pick, Darnell Savage, for example, that they're an elite player and, and it's up to Joe Barry to make sure that they're good. That's the real sticking point for me. However, it's not a real good sticking point because the fact of the matter is you do have a lot of talent and you do need to make it work. Kenny Clark hasn't been playing well, but I know the talent's there. 
why isn't he playing at his peak? You have Jair, and he is playing at a high level. I think he was top 10 again last year out of 500,000 corners in the NFL, right? Devondre has been a great player. Razul's been a great player. Got some good pass rushers. There, there really is no excuse for, for this level of play. And again, we saw it after the bye week. What they were able to do is exactly what we expect. So I don't like the answer from Joe Barry, because although it's, it's uh, a very noble thing to say that, you know, I, I expect to go out and produce no matter what the circumstances are, let's be completely honest. We've pretty much ruled out everything but the defensive coordinator at this point, Joe. Because I can go around the league right now and find plenty of defenses with less talent that are doing a better job of stopping scoring and yards and everything else. It will not be hard for me to find. And that's what we're really talking about. It's process of elimination. It ain't the players. Therefore, it ain't the GM. Therefore, what? Is it the head coach? Is he is he kind of holding you back? I don't think so. I think you pretty much have complete control over that, right? We have an offensive head coach. So this defense falls entirely at your feet. You know, we expect this is, the great, this is the greatest thing about not only the National Football League, but being at the Green Bay Packers. Expectations are high all the time, no matter what. So Yeah, but they're higher now. <laughs> I mean, again, the, 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 the bottom line is you're right. There is an expectation. And um, you haven't met that expectation. And the, the, the only question from us then is, Number one, do you need more time? Um, which I, I, patience is running thin, considering how much we have lacked in the defensive department for such a long time. Number two, do you lack talent? And then number three, do we need a new defensive coordinator? So the the, the time is up. You get this year, and you've got plenty of talent. So obviously, that's the point of the stupid question. In fact, I don't even know what the point... But what, what insights do we need other than just like trying to pin... I understand you want to sound like you know, you're, you're tough and brave and everything else to pin Joe Barry against the wall, but aside from just walking up and spitting in his face, what, what are we accomplishing with a question like that? What are the insights that I'm getting as a, as a consumer? Don't ask questions that everybody knows the answer to. It's a waste of everybody's time. Every single person fully understands, except maybe Joe Barry. I don't know. Everybody understands that his job is 100% on the line, and a big part of that is because there are no excuses. There's nowhere else to point the finger. It's not a pile of seventh-round picks that we can point the finger to and say, I don't know, maybe Joe Barry's not the problem. If this doesn't work, it's Joe Barry, right? I mean, or, or injuries, or we'll, we'll see how things play out, right? But it's, it's just a matter of getting the best out of these guys. And, and who, who did we get the best out of last year? Who was at their best? Not Kenny, not Preston. Not really uh, Jair, although that may be about his peak. I, d- I certainly don't expect him to be number one, but, you know, so maybe Jair. Although, again, th- there's, I mean, let's just be honest, it was such a cluster last year. T- to pretend as though that that was the best that we can do. When you have a defensive coordinator saying, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll try it the player's way, and then we actually change what we're doing based on what the players want, and when that doesn't work, we try something else, and then after the bye, we try something else again. I mean, that is such a disaster. I mean, it's, it's, it's not only a lack of, of uh, commitment to yourself and, and to your scheme, but it's, a, it's clearly a lack of, of faith from your players for them to just bail on you and, and what you're selling them and saying, this is stupid, I don't want to do this, I want to do something else, I want to be used differently. There's no buy-in. That in and of itself is a problem. So, I don't know, man. It's, uh, 
it's clearly an issue that um, I mean, it was a, it was a big risk bringing him back, but at the same time, how many years in a row are we going to keep getting new defensive coordinators? And then how how many years do you give them to find out if it because you can't just assume it's fixed in your one again Fangio when he peaked in Chicago that was like year four he didn't just come to Chicago and just tore it up I mean he, he is a, a walking legend because of what happened in 2018 with the Bears that was not what happened his first year there or his second or I don't even think his third I think I think it was fourth maybe it was third but then what then he goes other places and I mean he he hasn't had that number one defense since I don't think right. How much time are you willing to invest? You know, Fangio could have got fired after year one if it didn't work. And then what? When do you bail? I don't know. But I will say for me personally, I'm, I'm not really willing to invest any more than this year. Um, the amount of investment that we have in this defense, the amount of talent that's here, I mean, this is, this is I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, it's frustrating to, to waste this much. And it's just been so many years of it, man. I'm so tired of it. I mean, the the, the second half of Dom Capers' freaking tenure was a disaster. Mike Pettin had some things going for him for a little bit, but obviously it wasn't up to what we wanted. Then he gets let go, and then we bring in Joe Barry, and that's not what we want. I mean, I'm starting to go. But I'm starting to think we should just hire Dom Capers because at least at least with Dom, you can look at it and go, what did he have to work with? The DBs were absolutely terrible. He had like Clay Matthews and a bunch of old over the hill guys. I mean, th- there was no production left on that defense. You had Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, what, what did he have to work with? Let's just go get Dom, see what he's doing, man. Psycho package. NASCAR. Let's go. I'm kidding, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's getting old, and I'm, I'm really just getting freaking tired of it. Anyways, as usual, this is taking a lot longer than it's supposed to, but why don't we go ahead and take a break right here. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is the uh, easiest way to support the podcast if you're so interested in doing so. You can show your support for as little as $1 per month. Thanks, by the way, to uh, Nathan Schmidt. I don't know if I said thank you to you yet, but thank you. Also, please consider supporting Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find them at FertileGroundRanch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So a follow-up question was asked about that whole thing, and and Joe Barry went back to consistency. You know, you mentioned the issue largely last year wasn't so much the talent or the ability, it was the inconsistency. Now, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it does sound to me, and I felt like this was the case last year as well, not just from Joe Barry, but also from Matt LaFleur, the coaching staff put a lot of the blame on the players. If I call a play and you don't execute it, that's not my fault. And I had mentioned that last year as well. There was a lot of blown coverage. There was a lot of guys wandering around not knowing what to do. And that's pretty unacceptable for the group that we have 
and the time that they have invested in this scheme to not know what they're doing. Now, there are certainly questionable calls that have taken place. And again, this is not, this is where understanding scheme and on a play-to-play basis, those things kind of come into play. And even the guys that do understand it, I remember at times asking, I'd take a cut up and send it to Sam Holman or whatever and be like, you know, where's the mistake here? I assume it's this person. Like, well, it could be that person. It could be this. I tend to think it's this, you know, because you can't always know what the play call was compared to like, was that the call or was this person or was this the call and that guy's in the wrong spot or whatever the case may be. Um, there were a lot of times I remember seeing a lot of lose-lose. In other words, there was no winning at this. I think sometimes the safeties got blamed too much. You know, I remember Savage and, and even Amos at times going back and watching it and just thinking nobody on planet earth is making that play. But you, of course, see a guy catch a pass, and then you see Savage come in and tackle him from behind and think, frickin' Savage again gave up a pass. No, he came from from 10 yards off. There's nothing he could have done about that. I mean, he's just the closest guy to make the tackle. So there's there's a lot lot of issues. Clearly, I think the players bear some of the blame. Sounds as though Joe is saying that. I do know some of it is on him. I mean, it's not all or nothing in either direction. You got players making mistakes. I'm sure Joe made some mistakes. But I think that the big definitive thing for me, and, and again, I've said it a thousand times, small sample size, but the fact that Joe was able to make some tweaks and the defense seemed infinitely better leads me to believe it's a Joe thing. Because that was your job from the outset, was to find the best way to put these guys in a position to succeed. Now, yeah, maybe the de- the defensive scheme you had before was even better and the guys just couldn't execute it or whatever. I don't know. But again, this this is... This is ultimately your job, and sometimes it's a little bit unfair, but you have to be the one to figure these things out. And so I'm, I'm going to operate under the assumption that you have figured it out. Congratulations, Joe Barry. You figured it out at the end of the next year. We're going to implement that with, with very minor tweaks, but we, we kind of know what this defense needs and how it operates. We're going to go out, and we're going to be a top 10 at worst, hopefully top 5 defense this year. That is the expectation. And that is the difference between being a, a defense full of seventh rounders as opposed to a defense full of first rounders. Again, quality of play is more important, but generally speaking, the expectation is top five as opposed to bottom five. For the sake of saving time, I'll probably just try to summarize, even though I do like to put it in their own words, but there's a lot of, a lot of words being used. He was asked specifically about it, and it was, it was kind of um, evasive in terms of getting into specifics, which I guess makes sense from a schematic standpoint and not telling people, although teams can obviously see what you did. But ask, you know, what, what were those changes at the end of the season? The one thing I liked is he, he kind of um, dismissed the idea that it was simplifying. He said it was evolving. Now, maybe that's just him choosing a word that he feels more comfortable with and what they did was simplify. But simplifying isn't necessarily a good thing. It means we're having to cut back on what could make us our true, ultimate, best self and simplify it just so that people can operate within it, which means we're not able to maximize the talent we have. He stated that's not what they did. They, they evolved how they sort of utilize guys. And then he went on to say essentially what I said, which is we need to be doing that at the beginning of the season, not the end. Now, I'm hopeful that you can just apply that at the beginning of the season. Now, the NFL continues to evolve, and every single opponent is going to be a little bit different. But generally speaking, you're able to apply what you learned at the end of last year to this year to at least get started and use that as your baseline as opposed to whatever the heck it was you thought you had at the beginning of the season last year. Uh, he was really hammered over and over about specifics, and, and the one thing he came down to, and he said this is pretty much league-wide, but the thing that most of guys like him, defensive coordinators, spend their time on is uh, situational football, third down, red zone, stuff like that, which I think Joe is just, yikes, third and short, I mean, come on. But then he said tackling, which which is kind of a, a weird thing because 
teams continue to move further and further away from what would make them a good tackling team, although all the while acknowledging that tackling is a critical component to being a good defense. I mean, I, I pointed that out a few years ago. I've never seen, from a PFF standpoint anyways, a team that is a top-end defense that wasn't one of the top in tackling. Extremely high correlation. And, 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 and of course, that just makes perfect sense. There's a lot more to defense than just tackling, but I mean, you turn every play into, you know, add two, three more yards onto it on average. Or, you know, I mean, in some cases you're talking 40, 50 yards because the defensive tackle missed one or the linebacker way up front missed it, and now it's open season down the field. But I also think that, that it's a, you know, tackling can also be a symptom. A good tackling team is a disciplined team. It's a violent team. And I think those are, are sort of macro components to a good defense in which, again, tackling ends up being a symptom. But it is weird that we, we worry way more about injuries. It's like, it's like I, I guess we'd rather be healthy and bad than banged up and good. You know what I mean? Go tackle. Stop tackling the stupid little donut, which makes no sense. Rolling a donut down the field and you got to come in and swoop it with one arm. Like what? In what way does that simulate a football player? No wonder these guys are getting their ankles broken. Players don't just keep going at you know four miles an hour in one direction. Instead, they're coming at you, and then they go different directions. Uh, the question of Stokes came up again, which which is just such a weird thing because, you know, on, on one hand, it's you want to just believe that the situation is just it's it's going to be Keyshawn in the nickel, and then it's going to be Razul and Jair on the boundary, and the only reason is because Stokes is is injured, and when he comes back, that'll change. There's something weird about the way that they answer these questions that it almost makes me wonder, especially the way Joe Barry answered it. And again, I'm not going to really play it because it just we need to save time. But um, it just makes me worry about his health in general. I mean, again, I, I don't even know exactly what all took place. Um, I'm sure there's a clip out there somewhere. Maybe maybe not. Maybe it was off field and it, it just, I don't know. But they would not replay it because they said it was so gruesome. And um, when you, when Joe Barry's talking about him, you know, wh- where does that leave Stokes? And I know he's injured and all that. And he said, well, we got to start there. He said, he starts talking about him as though he's battling cancer or something. You know, it's just good to have him in the building. It's good to see him walking around and we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll, we'll monitor it day to day and we'll see where he's at and all that. I mean, it, it just, the only thing I could think is they do not expect him back for a very long time or obviously just a misread and he, you know, he could be the starting guy, but th- they're not even contemplating whether or not he'll be it just it just sounds like the, the the three starting corners that they mentioned that's it and that's what they expect it to be and so my, my mind goes to either they're they're not as high on stokes which i don't think would be the case it doesn't make sense he was a starter when he got injured what could have possibly happened in that moment that could have got him demoted or this injury is just extremely significant and you know i i, I don't want to take it to an overly negative place but i just wonder about you know, is there a question of we need to see if he can get back to playing shape, not just when he can get back to playing shape? You know, how much damage was done and, and what does that what is that going to do to him as far as what does full health look like? You know, um, in terms of his ability to, to you know, his speed, his, his I mean, that's, that's a big part of his play to begin with was his straight line speed. But then there's the agility and everything else. So I don't know. I, I, I guess the, the situation has always been weird to me, the way that it's been answered and, and just the way that he's sort of discarded in any conversation about the cornerbacks from the coaching staff. There's not any like, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how Stokes is doing. There's no question of, you know, when Stokes comes back, that changes the equation. Like they, it doesn't even come up. 
It's just these are our corners, and Stokes is not even in the conversation at all. So again, I I, I just have to assume that it's at at best because they don't expect him back until at least midseason, maybe not even the season. I don't know. I really don't. But it's it's just a very strange situation where. Uh, he just is not really brought into the conversation. And then again, to hear Joe Barry talk about him as though he's fighting for his life, it's just good to see him. It's good to see him in the building. It's good to see him walking like, jeez. <sighs> I'm torn on what to do here. I don't want to do another day of Adam Stenovich, but um, well, well, we'll just keep doing it. Again, the big thing I wanted to take here with, with Stenovich, and, and there's other things, obviously, we'd love to hear um, what the OC thinks about the quarterback and whatnot, but there was a lot of talk about the offensive line. And the the specific comments that came up were about possibly using Zach Tom in, at, at different positions, including trying him out at center. And I think a lot of people's mind immediately went to, you know, maybe he's going to win that that center job. And it's possible. But I really think there's just, there's, what do we know? We know David Bakhtiari is our left tackle. We don't really know anything else. And really, it's just about finding the next best four guys. You can say, well, we know Elton's the left guard. No, we don't. Why don't we put Elton at uh, right tackle, put Zach Tom at left guard, put Runyon at, at right guard, and put uh, Josh Myers at center? Maybe having Zach Tom on the field is the best possible thing, but he's not going to... I don't know. That's the point. But they're, they're going to try him because they like him, but it's just, you know, who's he going to actually beat? And also, there's, there's a question of, you know, can he be a backup center? You try him at center to see if maybe, if nothing else, he could be sort of the number two if, if Myers goes down. Yeah, he could win that job. He could win the left guard job, the right guard job. I think anywhere from left guard to right tackle, Zach Tom is going to be tried, well, including left tackle, but not as a starter. I think they're going to try him, and they're going to try to find a spot for him because I think they like him, but they like a lot of guys. You know, Elton Jenkins can, can do anything from left tackle to right tackle, including center. I mean, if we're, if we're hell-bent on, on getting rid of Josh Myers, just put Elton at center. He'd be a phenomenal center. And then again, you, you get Zach at left guard and, and uh, keep everything else the same with Yash and, uh, and Runyon. We also got, you know, Royce, and we'll see where he's at. We got Sean Ryan, we'll see where he's at. But that's the thing. These are all major variables that if you change one of them, it changes that way. What if Sean Ryan, let's just say hypothetically, takes a massive step and is, our, is now our best starting guard? What does that do to our offense? Do we just remove Runyon from the equation? Do we, again, move Elton out to either center or right tackle? Well, we could discuss that, but then you got to look at the other things. Where Where is Josh Nyman at? Where is Zach Tom at? Where is uh, Josh Myers at? Where is John Runyon at? Where Where is Royce at? Where is Elton at? You know, we, we got to see where these guys are at and try everybody out and just figure out the best five that we can get. So, um, yeah, there was a comment about Zach Tom, and, and, and I, I think the, the point from Stenovich was basically we don't want to pigeonhole anybody and say, well, th- this person doesn't have a chance or this person is definitely this. The point of this time is to leave as many things open as is humanly possible. And if you ask them, they'll probably even tell you, you know, we're, we're going to see, you know, even, even David Bakhtiari's spot is open. I don't know if they'd actually say that. But the point is, I think they have a better idea of how things are going to fall. But at this point in the season, they want to communicate that everything is wide open, whether it really is or isn't. Uh, what, what the first question that was asked is just sort of gener- generically about Jordan Love and one of the comments he made was the fact that from a playbook standpoint, pretty much everything's on the table. In other words, we don't really need to cut anything out. It's just a matter of what works best for him. But you know, it was funny. I was trying to get caught up in some podcasts yesterday, and I've noticed I think every single 
seemingly every single member, with the exception maybe of like Wes, who works for the Packers and, and that whole crew, but the, the, the heck is it, uh, legacy media or whatever you call them, the guys that wear the lanyards and ask the questions and have been around for a long time and work for the big organizations, they are so negative about everything. I was listening to Wildey and Tausch, and it was the same thing, but the whole standpoint was, you know, they said they're going to have to simplify the offense for Jordan, which means they don't have any faith in Jordan. That tells you everything you need to know. Like, what are you talking about? He just said nothing is off the table. He can run anything in that playbook. I just, I don't get it. And then it, who was the other one? It was uh, Packers News or something. I think Ryan Wood's on there now. I don't, I don't remember who's who, but that guy was massively negative and Wildy's negative. And I know Silverstein's negative. These guys just, it just never ends with the, <laughs> and again, it's just like everybody else, you know, national media as well, but it's, if you don't know, then it's bad. That just seems to be the thing. We don't know Jordan, so we should expect the worst. We don't know the wide receivers, expect the worst. I don't get that. But yeah, Senovich flat out said, you know, obviously he doesn't have the experience that Rodgers has, but um, from a playbook standpoint, he can do everything in that playbook. It's actually funny because it was it was Wildy that, as best as I can tell, set up the question. And it wasn't Stenovich that said that they're going to simplify things. They were talking about, you know, going back and looking at all the other teams and finding out what worked, especially, you know, with guys like Brock Purdy, you know, young, inexperienced guys. What were the things that he seemed to to um, respond to? And, you know, he could start with that with love and just see. But, it, but what he just said the question before was we got to get in there and find out what Jordan Love likes to do and kind of build this offense around him. You know, we, we talk about how it's Matt LaFleur's offense moving forward. It's kind of Jordan Love's offense. It was Aaron Rodgers' offense. Now it's going to be Jordan Love's offense. And I don't mean that to be uh, uh, cliche, but that was kind of the way it worked. Jordan or Aaron Rodgers had a way of, of playing football, and you try to build what Matt LaFleur's concepts are around it. And I think, you know, there may be some just general incompatibilities there that people were worried about. But, um, you know, th- there is within the scheme what are the things that Jordan is responding to most positively? But, you know, Wildy follows up with, is, is simpler better? And Stenovich is like, well, yeah, usually simpler is, is, is always going to be better. And I, I'm guessing that's what they ran with, which, again, is just ridiculous. And it wasn't even a Jordan Love comment. It was a generic, is simpler better? And he said, yes, if, if, you, can allow the play, if you can keep it simple, allow the players to play fast, that's generally going to be better. That's about everybody. By the way, that includes... Aaron Rodgers, as much as Rodgers hated it and rebelled against it, you want to know why the guy won back-to-back MVPs? It's because he went from Mike McCarthy to Matt LaFleur. That's why I freaking predicted it before it happened. I said, if you can take a quarterback-friendly system and add an MVP-caliber quarterback to that system, you end up with, well, an MVP. It was the simplifying that worked for Rodgers. Whether he liked it or not, or, or wanted to play in it or not, or whatever, it doesn't matter. And there probably was some truth to the fact that the less they did it, the worse it got. Might, might have been an ego shot to Rodgers to, to play in this sort of dumbed-down kindergarten type of system, but that's what it was. And it wasn't the Packers made it simple for Rodgers because Rodgers is stupid and doesn't know what he's doing. They don't have any confidence in him. That's what the system is. Then there was a question um, about blitzing. You know, our, our team's going to be blitzing more. And I think this comes from the idea that, well, that's what Kansas City did. They blitzed the whole time. Jordan couldn't handle the rush. And so once teams start blitzing, it's going to collapse and everything's going to be a disaster. All right. A couple things on that real quick. Now, it's true we get to see, you know, what, what Jordan can do under pressure. Um, obviously, all quarterbacks struggle, but how much is he going to struggle? You can see a clear difference if we look at that Eagles game, which again, small sample size, but 
he had a 43.6 grade while under pressure. Now, that was only four dropbacks, but uh, two completions on four attempts for 27 yards, 43 grade, and then had a 90 PFF grade um, when kept clean. 12 of 17, 168 yards and a touchdown. I want to point out something about that Kansas City thing real quick, just just to kind of put things a little bit more into perspective. You know, I've been picking on Justin Fields and his uh, time to throw and how long he holds onto the ball and how that contributes to a lot of the, the pressures and whatnot that, that he deals with. I think one of the things to keep in mind is that that game against Kansas City um, is not likely to necessarily repeat itself. I'm not even talking about Jordan Love's ability, but the failure of the team around him to protect him for any amount of time whatsoever. Jordan Love's time to throw in 2021 was 2.38 seconds. That's the 20th fastest out of 78 quarterbacks. It was also the 11th fastest out of 78 quarterbacks. 11th fastest time to sack, which is how quickly somebody got to Jordan Love and brought him down. Right. So when we look at, for example, Justin Fields, who's sitting at four point some odd seconds before he actually goes down, Jordan Love goes down, went down extremely fast. It's unlikely, by the way, even this past year, his release is one of the fastest in the NFL. Uh, it's right there with like Tom Brady, which again, it's why I kind of see him more as a Tom Brady type than a Jalen Hurts type. You know, sacks are a, to some degree, a quarterback stat. We always think of it as a, just strictly an offensive line stat or, you know, a little bit tight end running back. One of the things that we talked about at length and, and somewhat learned yesterday is that time in the pocket is maybe the biggest predictor of a sack. This is why last year we learned that our pressure got better when our coverage got better, even though our pressure got worse. Because what our guys need is more time. And if you give pass rushers more time, they're going to get more sacks. Jordan Love was essentially getting smoked way sooner than quarterbacks ever see pressure. And so you can blitz all you want. And by the way, the Eagles did. Might not have been the 50%, which was one of the highest rates that anybody saw like last year. But there was blitzing, and it didn't do any good. They blitzed on two plays, two of the uh, however many dropbacks there were, pass attempts there were. But on those two plays, you know what Jordan Love's stats were? He was two for two for 67 yards and a touchdown. You want to know how you get a team to stop blitzing? That's how you get a team to stop blitzing. So anyways, long story slightly shorter. Are are teams going to try? Yeah, teams are going to try all different kinds of stuff, just like the Packers are going to try all different kinds of stuff to kind of see what works and what doesn't work. What I'm saying is I don't think you're going to see Team's just doing these all-out blitzes, and that's just going to neutralize the Packers. Because Jordan Love is getting the ball out faster than just about anybody else. This is one of the worst quarterbacks you're probably going to want to blitz. You're taking somebody out of coverage on a play that Jordan's going to get the ball out of his hands in 2.1 seconds? Okay. Anyways, that's about it. There was a question about, you know, is the offense going to look different? And his answer was, I think it might. Um, Which I think we all think it might. (laughs) I think that's a foregone conclusion. But to what degree? And and again, it's not the wrong answer. Again, he he has the same answer as everybody else. I don't know. We got to get in there. We got to see what everybody can do. We got to kind of take it, you know, play by play. But yeah, I mean, very obviously, it's going to be unlikely that when you figure out what works best for Jordan Love, it isn't going to be exactly what it was for Aaron Rodgers. So anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Tomorrow, what I'm really excited about doing, um, I'm going to go through all of our games and I'm going to predict win loss. And and this honestly started 
because somebody else was doing it and I was like, this is so stupid. Why does anybody even bother? I mean, I know it's a low-hanging fruit and it prob- people want to tune in and find out what your prediction is for the season and all that. But then I kind of thought about what is a better way to do it from in a way that I would actually find somewhat beneficial. And even though it's not going to be perfect, obviously, it, it does kind of serve the purpose of, of, you know, predicting the season, but also kind of hammering home the point that I've been trying to pay, hammer home, and that is that we, we don't seem to want to acknowledge the question marks. Even though we'll say there's question marks, then we'll go in and we'll predict the season. And say, oh, I don't know about this guy. I don't know about that. So what I want to do is I'm going to predict the season four times. And although there's a ton of different variables, I, in my mind, there's two really big ones. What are we going to get from this defense? What are we going to get from Jordan Love? And with that, there are four different combinations of this football team. Jordan Love and the defense are good. Jordan Love's good, but the defense is bad. Jordan Love's bad, but the defense is good. And both of them are bad. With the goal of that being to look at the full spectrum of how good and how bad this can be, but also just to see, you know, how useless and futile the the exercise is to just to come into it and say, I think this is a win or I think this is a loss, because you have to answer those questions. And these are just broad, sweet, you know, what about the tight ends? What about the wide receivers? What about the running backs and the pass rush? When's Rashawn coming back? How's he going to look? What about Lucas Van Ness? What about Jaden Reed? What about the differences in the offense? Is it going to be a positive? Is it going to be a negative? And that's just the Packers. That has nothing to do with the opponents and their full spectrum. Look at the Bears. What about their quarterback? What about their wide receivers? What about their running back situation? How about their offensive line and their defense and their... You know what I mean? It's such a waste of time. But at the end of the day, at the very least, I want to look at it and say, honestly, look at this game. Jordan Love is a really good quarterback, and our defense is playing the way we always thought it was. You still think this is a loss? Well, no, maybe not in that situation. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, that one that you got circled as a win, Jordan Love is a bad quarterback, and the defense is, you know, 25th again or whatever. You really think we're going to win that game? But I want to look at those four different variables because it does change as well. You know, if Jordan Love is good, but the defense is bad compared to the defense is good, but Jordan Love is bad. Depends on the opponent. Where are their strengths? Where are their weaknesses? But anyways, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Otherwise, I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>